Welcome to the Bike Pack Adventures Podcast. I am your host, Chris Panaski. This podcast was created so as to share the stories of bike tours, bike packers, and endurance cyclists from around the world as they embark on amazing adventures. Through their stories, you'll be able to learn the ins and outs of bike travel. You'll get insight into various countries and cultures around the world, hear fantastic stories of their journeys. Through both mine and my guests' experiences, you'll learn about the pros and cons of specific gear, bikes, and bike setups. If you're new to bike travel and considering going on an adventure, I hope the podcast provides you with that extra little bit of motivation to make it happen. I want to thank Panorama Cycles, Redshift Sports, Restrap, Race Day Fuel, and Brockman Cyclery for supporting Bike Pack Adventures and helping to keep me on the bike. Check out the show notes for more information about these amazing companies. Thanks and keep on pedaling. Welcome to the Bike Tour Adventures podcast. I am your host, Chris Panaski, and I interview bike tourists from around the world to bring you stories of their adventures and experiences. These are people who get out there and leave the comfort zone of the typical 9 to 5 to embark on ambitious adventures and take on challenges that most people can only dream about. If you like what you hear today, please share this podcast with other bike tours you know, or anyone else you think may be interested. If you want to get in touch, you can email me at info at biketouradventures.com or find me on Facebook and Instagram at Bike Tour Adventures. In episode 18 of Bike Tour Adventures, I have the chance to speak with the bike traveler, Arthur Desclos. In 2018, Arthur decided to go on a three-year bike tour of the world and cycle 45,000 kilometers through 40 countries. As a wood engineer, he decided to design a bamboo bike with the help of three of his friends, to which he would then attach everything he needs to survive. Having previously also worked as a kite surfing instructor, Arthur would also use these travels as an opportunity to teach kite surfing to people around the world. Arthur, welcome to the show. Hi, Chris. Happy to be on your show today. Thanks, man. It's really good to have you here. I have had heard of you quite a long time ago, mostly for notorious reasons, but uh, it is good to have you here. Before we start talking about your bikes and travels, can you uh, tell us about yourself? Well, uh, I'm from France and I'm actually 28 years old. I started my trip pretty much two years uh, ago in Germany. I'm riding a bamboo bike and uh, well, this is what I'm, I was doing. And uh, now I'm in Mexico City and uh, I will see what's going next. Where are you from in France? I'm from Lyon. Ah. No, no, that's from Switzerland. Yeah. yeah. I had uh, I had some couch surfers I traveled across Canada with um, in 2010, and they were from Lyon. So, uh, yeah, very cool. And what did you do in life before you became a, well, I guess before two years ago when you started cycling? I finished uh, studies, well, my engineering school. It was a wood engineering school, so that's pretty much why I, I've got a, a bamboo bike today. Then I had a company after finishing school, and I I started my trip after that. Oh, okay. And how did you get the idea of building a bamboo bike, and how did you design this? Well, I first started my my water after doing many trips with my parents, friends. Uh, from I started, I think, at six years old, doing trips around with a bike. Oh. And well, I decided to do this trip first. I started in uh, Munich, Germany, mm-hmm. to Istanbul. It was starting snowing uh, eastern Turkey, so I said I, I may come back home 
And at this time, I don't remember how it works, but I ended speaking with some friends and they told me we are uh, building a bamboo by company. And uh, I said, well, that was my dream for, for a long time. But if you want to buy a bamboo back in a normal company, it's pretty expensive. So at this time I said, well, we can maybe work together and you can produce a bamboo bag for me. And they said, yeah, that would be a, a good idea. That was more like a test. And it has been almost two years on this bamboo bag, has been around with all type of weathers, humid rain uh, nearby the sea when I was teaching kitesurf uh, during three months in Thailand. So yeah, that's a, an amazing material. Is it difficult to build a bike using bamboo? How do you lace the different parts together? No, not that, not that hard. Uh, everybody can do it, and there are a lot of DIY um, um, videos on YouTube or articles you can find on, on internet. Uh, also, some companies which are organizing some work. There is one in London, I think, and there is one right now here in Mexico City. So you just have to order the good parts. Pretty much, you need some uh, bamboo which is a special type of bamboo you can find in uh, Mexico or Vietnam. But for sure, there are some importers, uh, bamboo importers in your country. Oh, okay. And then you need some uh, some uh, aluminum pieces and you will paste it together. Okay, so the uh, the bottom bracket and the part where the handlebar goes through the, the, the what do you call it, the headset, um, these are all aluminum? Yeah, that's aluminum. Uh, you just need to know which uh, fork you will use, or yeah. which, um, uh, and then you just decide uh, the right um, the diameter of the aluminum uh, unit. Ah, okay. That's all. And is the uh, the bamboo? Is it just glue? Is it glued to it, or how do they? How do they? Uh, how do you attach it? Well, uh, the bamboo. You will first uh, use some glue. On like uh, it's like a table. You will first use some glue to paste the, the bamboo with the aluminium parts, and then you will wrap uh, all those, uh, let's say, uh, junctions at the bottom bracket, and uh, uh, all those junctions you will wrap it using. You can use carbon and epoxy resin, and then you will sand it. And this is pretty much all you have to do. I saw one once before that was wrapped with like a rattan, like a wicker, mm -hmm. but I don't think that would be overly good in the long run because it might crack and stuff. So I think maybe the carbon and fiberglass and stuff is probably the best, yeah? I think so, yeah. Um, before building a bamboo bag, you, you must be sure that your bamboo is dry between uh, 10, of, 10 and 15% uh, moisture content. What would you say it costs to build a bamboo bike? I mean, not counting the things like wheels, group set, um, let's say just the frame itself. Uh, let's say just the frame itself, which is the most important because then the price is made because uh, the components you will choose. So some are very expensive, like exactly. a roll-off and some are not. But the cost for building a bamboo bike by yourself will be, let's say, the material, bamboo, aluminium, uh, and drop off and everything will be around one fifty dollars no more and then it's a, it's just a lot of work that's wow, all that's but it? if you have time it's okay 150 bucks yeah it's that's all wow okay and um have you had any problems with the bike the bike did i have any problems with the bike yeah uh well i guess i mean with in terms of structural integrity and things like that no it it all worked perfectly during those last two years, okay. no problem at all. 
uh, I started to have some, uh, I don't know how to call it in English, some, uh, the, the bamboo opened in the rear cracks. part of my bike, but cracked a bit. Yeah. Because while well, I was riding like crazy in the Palm Mountains with my 50 kilograms on the bike mm -hmm. right now, I'm going with only 12, but when I was riding with all that stuff, it was like say, a lot of weight, maybe I think, uh, for the bike. Yeah. I was wondering about that because as bamboo dries, I mean, it, I've lived in Asia a long time and stuff before and, and bamboo will crack. So, um, but it's still strong. Even when cracked, it's, it's unlikely to, to completely destabilize, I guess. Yeah. It's, it's still, it's still strong. There is no problem. And because, uh, on both sides of each bamboo bars, you have uh, resin. It's no problem. Okay. And, um, I guess the last question I have about the bamboo bikes is riding it. What's it like comfort wise? I, I simply, I, I just love it. I will never come back. I think for a steel frame, uh, which most of uh, bike drivers are using, mm -hmm. because it's easy to fix if uh, something uh, broke. But it's very, it's a smooth ride. It's very flexible. I call it the full suspension bike. I just love it. I can ride for hours and just perfect. I remember during the first part of my um, of my trip from Germany to Turkey, I used a forward manufacturer. I think, you know, the brand, it's a German brand and the, it's a, it was a, a double butted steel frame. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, I had some pain on my back. And with this bamboo bike, even on the worst, worst roads, I had no problems. Even on the Great Divide and in the Palmy Mountains, no problem at all. Let's talk about your bike route. So where did you start? So where did I start? So I started the trip in 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 Munich, Germany. Mm -hmm. I started with a guy I met uh, called Matthias Amaya. This guy from Argentina has been around for seven years now. Crazy guy. This is a really amazing, amazing man. He's riding a more than a hundred kilogram bike and selling pictures on the road to wow. finance his trip. So I, I, I ride with him during two weeks from Munich to Venezia. And then I started uh, to go by myself till Istanbul. I came back home for a few months and uh, to be sure I wanted to go for this uh, nomad life for a few years, which I decided to do. Mm -hmm. I just, I uh, kitesurf diploma to teach some kitesurf uh, while on the road to stop not being nomad all year round. Yeah, so May 2018. I really started from Istanbul, uh, Japan, and now I'm in uh, Mexico after starting in Canada, riding the old grid divide uh, down to Mexico City. Have you cycled in the winter at all? No, I didn't. Uh, I, I don't really like to cycle uh, with the cold. I did a trip with a friend a few years ago from uh, Napoli to Valencia, mm -hmm. and this winter was in December, January, and this winter was very cold. Mm -hmm. The Trevi Fontaine in Roma, uh, there was, um, was um, how, do you, uh, how do you say it when, when the water is cold? Uh, ice, no? Yeah, yeah. The, this year, the, it was only ice in the Trevi Fontaine, so ah. it was a very cold year. And from this time, I decided to not ride with uh, lower temperatures. And I don't like to, to ride my bike with lower temperatures than 10 degrees. Okay. Now that's about what it is in Canada now. I think if I went to work in the morning, it would be about five and it's a little bit too cold, even with protective clothes. I, I imagine, but it's not a, let's say it's not a humid cold in Canada. It's a dry cold, so it's, you can support it uh, more easily, I think. Um, how do you afford this trip? I mean, two years is a long time, probably 
I think most listeners are always envious of bike travelers that go for long hauls, long, long trips. How do you manage the money aspect? Well, as working as an engineer before, I could save a bit of money. And uh, well, which would be, let's let's say, for two years living in France, but around the world, when you go in countries like Nepal, uh, Myanmar, Mexico, Uzbekistan, because this is a cheap life, you can go for much more time. So this is the way I did it. Do you have a daily budget? When I first planned the trip, I was like uh, planning uh, around 20 euros a day for a normal day in France. On, on internet, you can find it. There are some ratio for each country. For example, it's going to be 0.2, let's say, in Nepal. So in Nepal, I would have say uh, I would have spent... Uh, four euros or something. Yeah, four euros, five euros a day, uh-huh. which was pretty... The, the amount I spent. What kind of website is this? I think the name of the website website is Nambeo. Oh, it's Nambeo. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Nambeo. And um, did you kite surf a lot before you did your certification or was this uh, something new? That was something pretty new. And uh, because I wanted to find a way to stop during the trip to, to, to work. I did kite surf a lot just before starting the trip to, to, to have, let's say, a normal level to be able to teach. And yeah, this is pretty much all I did. But because that was my dream, it makes it, it made it easier uh, to learn and to learn fast because I really wanted to to get into it. Okay. And um, where have you kite surfed so far? Like what places around the world? I've been kite surfing in Tarifa. Uh, I've been kite surfing in Esarira in France in in some spots. Mm-hmm. And the next the last time I've been teaching uh, in Thailand, of course, but they were not that good winds over there so oh. not a not a very good spot and next time i was i plan i'm planning to to teach in colombia there are awesome winds over there oh cool how much money does it pay when you're working abroad teaching kite surfing well it really depends on on the winds you know and uh, you could like in thailand there were a lot of people uh, who wanted to to learn kite surf uh, a lot of customers but there were there was no wind, so you can make let's say from three hundred euros uh, uh, a month till depending if you are on good spot. Let's say in Greece, you can make much more, like thousands. Oh, okay. But it really, it really depends on on the customers, the weather. It's not a you you cannot say uh, this is what I'm gonna earn this month. Oh, I see. So when you restarted your tour, did you start again in Germany or you flew back to to Istanbul? I flew back to Istanbul. Okay. Heading east from Istanbul, you went up through the Caucasus area or did you go down into Iran or what was your route? I rode my bike following the Black Sea. Uh, this is where I met a guy called Elliot from uh, Sheffield, UK. Okay. Uh, Elliot, if you hear this podcast. Uh, yeah. And I then I, I cycled. Uh, so um, uh, Georgia, Azerbaijan, I crossed the Caspian Sea, okay. taking a ferry to Kazakhstan. Yeah, then Uzbekistan, well, the normal way to do the PAMI and ending in uh, Kyrgyzstan. Okay. And how did the bamboo bike hold up in the Pamirs? It was pretty good. I remember downhill with, uh, I was with three other guys which had a steel frame and they were going slow. I was going like crazy because my bike was holding very well. Mm. And uh, well, you, you have to try to, to understand how it works. It's just amazing. Really? Yeah. Could a bamboo bike be made into a mountain bike? Sure, you, you can make the frame you want, the geometry you want. Uh, the next bamboo bike I want to build is a 29 plus because I would like to go more for bike packing trips. 
Okay. You can do everything. You can do cargo bikes. Well, pretty much everything. Same, same with steel. That's really cool. Okay. I, I'm going to have to look this up more. I, I like it. And also when you have a passion for bikes and you end up having a house, you end up collecting a lot of bikes and it could get pretty expensive. So maybe having bamboo bikes is the way to go. Yeah, sure. <laughs> let's, let's jump forward to Myanmar because anybody who knows you that sees this podcast is probably wondering a bit about Myanmar. Seeing as it's only recently opened up to tourists, they have some pretty strict laws regarding different things, where you can sleep at night, what you can film and not film. What happened to you? So when in Myanmar, I just ended those three months teaching in, in Thailand, and I was not planning to go to Myanmar first, but some friends told me Myanmar people uh, are just amazing, you have to know it, and they are pretty much like uh, Nepali people, which I really enjoyed. So I said, okay, let's go Myanmar. But after cycling, I think it was like seven or nine days in Myanmar, uh, in the capital, Naypyidaw. I flew my drone. I didn't know it was not allowed in this country to have a, to import a drone. And uh, so that was my first mistake. And I flew it uh, nearby the parliament, which I didn't know that was the parliament. Second mistake. And so they stopped me and they directly uh, sent me in jail. And they told me first that that would have been for three years. So, yeah. <laughs> Were you like in the middle of flying it and guys came running around the corner or something? And, or what happened? No, no. That, let's say that that's crazy. But I, I was on this big avenue and there is like, a, I don't know, 20 lane avenue in this capital, Napier. It's crazy because there is almost nobody in the city, but it's built like a, a huge, a huge city. Like, but there is nobody living over there. Okay. It's like a ghost city. And I was there flying my drone over me to, well, to do some video and I ended front of the parliament which I thought it was like a big castle big building And but there were some guys and they saw me playing the drone just front of them like I was a hundred meters from them and so they, they stopped me they, they told me come here and after like 10 minutes I, have, I had a lot of people around me like with guns rifles asking me questions uh, because they thought I was uh, a spy you know oh wow yeah you know the situation of Myanmar so what was the process like when you got arrested did you just get taken to a police station first or yeah yeah so they took me to a police station first um they they asked me many questions uh, where i was from name of my parents uh, many things they took pictures of me with my drone like if i was a drug dealer uh, and then they told me well uh, you will stay here tonight in the police station so at this time i was like uh oh, they, are, they are very friendly you know like all me and my people were offering me a place to stay. So I said, one more time, the police is very friendly. They understood. Okay. I didn't want to do anything bad. But they, and they ended lock, locking me in like kind of jail. And mm-hmm. so I sat there and the next day a guy came and he, he, he told me straight, uh, well, you will have to spend three years in jail. Shit. <laughs> I was not ready for it. Had you had a chance yet to call your embassy and stuff at this point? Or this is like nothing's happened yet? No. No, they took my phone and everything. But when I was uh, with the police, mm-hmm. I sent a message to my family telling them I'm with the police right now. I think everything will be okay. But if tomorrow you have no news, please call the embassy. Oh, really? So the next day they had no news. Uh, so they called the French embassy and this is how they knew I was in jail. So if they had, if they had have not called the embassy, do you think you would have spent three years in jail? I don't think so, they, because they would have searched for me for sure. At some point, yeah, yeah. It, it could have taken more time, I think. Okay. So did you have a did you have an actual trial where you found guilty, or was it just like what happened? Like when they they told you you're going to spend three years in jail? 
What happened? The first night after when I was at the police station, they took me to, to the judge and the judge told me, well, you have to go to, to jail. Didn't explaining me the reasons and everything. Well, I knew I was flying a drone and that was mm -hmm. the problem. But in many countries around this world, you, you know, you are directly guilty. Yeah. They will start investigating while you are in jail. When, for example, in France, it's a bit different. They will investigate and if you are guilty, they will take you in jail. Right. But in those right. countries, like here in Mexico, it's the same process. You're guilty until proven innocent instead of the other way around. Yeah. That's it, right. Yeah, I know in Korea, they actually built prison because there's so many foreign teachers in there. They built a Western prison that would have beds instead of floor mats and Western food <laughs> yeah. instead of Korean food all the time. What was your month in prison like in, in Myanmar? The amount of food you mean? Yeah, like what was the, what were what kind of cell were you in? Were you mixed in with a lot of other people? Did you have a bed or was it just a mat on the floor? So when I arrived when I arrived there, I ended in a in a room with we were fifty guys in seventy five square meter with three uh, holes to for the toilet and well we all were sleeping on the floor at night, mm -hmm. so the, there was no space to work into in the room and but the food. There was no food given given by by the the jail. So each prisoners, they well, they don't call it prisoners at this point. But well, each guy they had to go to the judge every week. And at this time, their family were coming and giving them some, let's say, boxes with dry food and uh, dry vegetables and stuff like that. Okay. Because we had no fridge in the room, so I was eating with the guys in in my room. They were very friendly and they offered me food because, of course, I had no family outside, so I couldn't ask for for food to them. So. If they had not have shared their food with you, would you have either A, died or your family would have had to come to, to, to Myanmar to give you food every week? Is that what would have had to happen? Or? Um, no, my family, after a while, the, the embassy came and they gave me some money, which the, the jail master uh, took this money and I was asking for some food to the jail master wow. and he was paying with this money but no i wouldn't uh, they, they wouldn't have let me die for sure I, I was i think very important for them and well if something was happening to a frenchman in jail in myanmar that could have been a big problem for them and i think they have enough problem yet right yeah so the people in jail i mean you want you said you said before that you know, or just before the interview started, you said that your your real passion is to know about the people and not so much about the touristy things and uh, the places that all the tourists go, but the people. I mean, uh -huh. not right. many not many people get the opportunity to meet the people in jail. You know, these are the rougher people <laughs> in society, or these are the the bad people. What were they like? Uh, they were so friendly, uh, very respectful, like uh, people in in Nepal, which is a country mm -hmm. I really loved. And I, I couldn't have end in a, in a better jail. This is what I told to the judge the first day I met her. I said, I prefer to have this story here than in uh, Thailand or India, which I think would have been a completely different experience because the people are different. And I knew the people in Myanmar were just uh, so friendly, so respectful. Mm -hmm. So I knew it would be, it would be a, a good experience. And if you had been in Thailand, there's probably lots of foreigners in jail for various reasons. And... You, you wouldn't be mm -hmm. treated, you'd be treated just like every, you know, you wouldn't be s special where maybe in Myanmar, you were very odd to have a white guy in the jail and you were a little bit special, you know? Yeah. Uh, so. yeah I think you're right. They, they, they took care of me, I think. Did you learn a lot of Burmese in, in prison? Well, uh, after, after two weeks, because I didn't know if I was staying, well, everybody around me was telling me you will stay one month, two months, three months. It's not going to be, 
that long. But after two weeks, I had no idea. After my embassy came, the first, uh, the first, uh, I think, judgment. Mm-hmm. I came back to jail and I said, well, I don't know how long it's going to be. I was, uh, my friends were coming back every week, you know, it can be like that for one, two years in Myanmar. You go there, you come back, you go there, you come back. Okay. And so I said, I, I, I will have to learn some, uh, some Burmese because I, I don't know how long I will stay here. And because there were only two guys uh, out of 200 people in in this day uh, speaking English, I said, I, I will have to learn some Burmese. Mm-hmm. It will make the experience more enjoyable. So what did you learn? What, what did I learn? I think I, I, I tried to learn uh, some uh, numbers, uh, how to say hello and stuff like that. But I think I completely forgot everything. Yeah, maybe it's a pretty traumatic experience as well. So maybe this kind of goes away with everything else. I see it in a good way, this experience, but I think you're right. It was a traumatic experience because I, I was not expecting that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's good because you didn't die and you came out healthy still, I guess, sure. and uh, no yeah, major diseases, can, right? Yeah, well, no major disease, but well, right now, after this, this happened like eight months ago, and right now I have a problem which is probably related to what happened uh, in jail. That was very. Let's uh, let's get out of Myanmar for a minute. Mm-hmm. What are some of the the various countries that you cycled through that have just been like wow countries? You know that that could mean nature, landscape, people, food, whatever. Just what are things that really impacted you? Well, as, as we were saying before, uh, I travel uh, for the people. So there's people around this earth, so I can go everywhere. And there is lovely people everywhere. So there is no best, there, there is no country I loved more than another one. Mm-hmm. I really like uh, Nepal. I think I will come back there one day. Okay. Uh, because they were so respectful. And for me, during this travel, uh, the, there is one Im- important point is the respect the people show you. Even, even if you cannot speak the same language, you see it in their eyes, uh, in their gesture. And yeah, I really enjoyed Nepal, for sure. Oh, very good. Yeah, I've I've wanted to go to Nepal. It's on my list. I have a couple guys there from my days in Malaysia. I mean, and that we became quite close and knew each other. And I promised to visit one day. So hopefully that'll happen. Yeah, I wish I wish you that. Anything else? Any other places that wowed you? I did enjoy every place, I think. I really enjoyed the people from Myanmar and Cambodia, uh, Cambodia, Vietnam, mm-hmm. Turkey. All around, there were just lovely people. Uh, in the US also, I loved those people from Montana, Colorado, when, I be, when I've been writing The, the Great Divide. Uh, simple people living a bit of slow life. I really enjoyed those remote places, mm-hmm. remote states. I think America gets a bad rep because politics, you know, like I have a lot of American friends and as much as I hate American politics, I love my American friends, you know, they're fantastic people. Yeah. They're not the same, you know? No, you're completely right, Chris. Uh, As I used to say uh, in media, uh, everywhere, we see about, we see a country because their politics, but a country is a country because the people, and we forget that many times. Politics are just a few guys. The people who made a country, uh, the the thing which made a country is the people, not mm-hmm. the politics. About Myanmar, actually, I wanted to ask you, are you banned from the country or for life? Or are you ever able to go back after a certain amount of time? 
Before continuing on with the podcast, I just want to thank some of the Bike Tour Adventures sponsors. Bike Tour Adventures is proudly sponsored by Redshift Sports. Founded in 2013 by a team of mechanical engineers who happen to be avid cyclists, they've been focused on creating components that make a meaningful difference to the riding experience, such as the switch aero system, the shock stop suspension system, and the kitchen sink handlebar system. I've been using the dual position seat posts paired with the shock stop stem since 2020 and have nothing but great things to say about their products. Use the checkout code BTA15 on their website to save 15%. Beginning in 2010 with environmental sustainability as a main focal point, Restrap has been in the bag making business for quite some time. Having used their race bag since 2021, I find their holster system and magnetic buckles to be extremely effective and truly unique. Use the checkout code BTAPOD10 to save 10% at checkout. Lastly, named after the animal that roams the Tibetan plateau, Chiru Endurance Bikes was started by Pierre Arnaud Le Magna in 2009. After noticing the lack of endurance bikes on the market, Pierre used his expertise, know-how, and racing experience to create high-end carbon fiber and titanium bikes for the discerning rider and racer. Thanks, and back to the podcast. I don't know if I can say it here because maybe somebody will hear it. Okay. And um, Well, that was a a big story with my with the French state, French embassy, and the okay. Myanmar state. So All right, let's some, leave it at that. Something should be, yeah, did should you, stay here. Did you get your drone back? No, I didn't get my drone back. I didn't get my all my electronic stuff back. And when I get out of jail, the police had took many things. They they just uh, stole me many stuff, but. They, they kicked me out of the country. They deported me to, to Thailand. And this is where I started to learn to, to cycle uh, lightweight. Oh, okay. So police teach me how to cycle lightweight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because you said before that you were in the Pamirs with 50 kilos. And then after that, you were at 12 kilos, right? Yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> That's great. Um, are there any countries that you didn't spend enough time in, but wish you could have stayed longer? In which countries I, I would have uh, liked to, to stay in? I don't know. I, I think I really enjoyed all the old trip, and no, uh, there is no country I would have stayed longer. Maybe, maybe Nepal. Yeah, maybe yeah. Nepal. Did you do any hiking there, or just uh, just stay in the villages? And I didn't hike there. I stay in the villages. I, there's, there are two options. I entered from uh, the western border in Nepal. And there are two options. I know some friends, they cycle this big highway, which is not that big because it's Nepal, but uh, you can stay on this highway, on this highway uh, following the south border. Mm -hmm. But I decided to go in the mountains in pretty small villages. And that was just an awesome experience. People working in the fields, a simple life and loved oh, it. Okay. And a lot of people in Nepal also speak uh, good English. Yeah, they do. At least one person, at least one person in each village. So, uh, so I really enjoyed it. Well, the Nepalese, they still have, uh, there's still actually a British army regiment. Yeah, sure. Uh, I, um, I learned when there, a lot of uh, Nepali people were also working in, in the French army. Oh, okay. And a lot of people also go working in Dubai and all the states around Dubai, Qatar, mm -hmm. yeah, to make some money and send it to, to their family. Were they working in the French army or like the French Foreign Legion? Uh, the French army. Let's talk about the Americas. Uh, I see that you originally, mm -hmm. you planned to start in Alaska when you first planned your trip, but that changed and mm -hmm. you started in Canada. Why? 
Yeah, right. I first plan to start in Alaska, as uh, many people do, Alaska to Patagonia. But after, let's say, around uh, one month in South Korea, in Japan, meeting almost no people, people were friendly, but it's not the same connection than in Vietnam, Cambodia, and all the countries I've been before. So I didn't want to be alone more time. I knew I was going to be alone for let's say a long time uh, on the grid side, but I didn't want it to make it longer. I wanted to spend more time in Central America where the people are just very friendly and the connections are easy to make. Yeah, I can explain. The, the Korea and Japan, they're, the people are, ex- not that they don't know English, they're extremely shy to make a mistake. So they just opt not to try, you know? So if you're trying to communicate with somebody, in general, they'd rather not talk than make a mistake and lose face, you know, look foolish in front of you or other people. So that makes it tough in Korea and Japan to to have some of these encounters and make connections with people because you, you're quite limited, you know? Yeah, but I think it's not only the, the language, it's also the culture. It's completely different. And coming from, a, let's say, Latin country, France, mm-hmm. My country is just different and I didn't read, let's say, manga and I, I didn't know a lot about this culture before coming to, to, to South Korea and Japan. So I think that, make it, that made it more difficult to get in touch with, with the people. But they are very generous, uh, especially in uh, South Korea. A lot of people offered me food uh, when I was cycling with Adam, for example. Okay. Yeah, that was very nice. Yeah, yeah I saw in his video the... Uh when you guys got those little sh- little fish thingies that were drying out on the on the tarps and... yeah it's a process and as you know when on the bike it's like uh, it's it's a slow life but also the connections the, the people you meet it's for a short time so you don't have that much time to make mm-hmm. uh, a good relation so let's talk about your route you did you fly to vancouver is that where you flew from japan uh, from Japan, I came back to France to see family and friends oh, okay. for um, three weeks because I after that uh, intense experience in, in jail in Myanmar, uh, I wanted to see them in reality, not uh, just through the phone. Mm-hmm. So I spent three weeks in France and then I flew to Calgary to start the Grid Divide, which were, which is not that far from Calgary, starting in, yeah, in Banff. In Banff, right? All right, let's talk about the Great Divide. I mean, it's... Uh also on my bucket list of things to do at some point. Uh, do. Tell me about it. It's amazing. So uh, the grid divide uh, was just perfect. Uh, I did it, I think, in almost three months. Mm-hmm. And let's say my old visa for the US, because with the ESTA, we, as uh, European people, we have 90 days yeah. uh, in the US. So I think I, I did cycle during 50 days, 50 days on the saddle, and then I was spending time with with people which were hosting me warm showers or random people and yeah you are pretty remote all time no traffic uh gravel roads which are pretty good let's say in british columbia colorado wyoming in british columbia montana uh, wyoming colorado the route is just perfect the gravel roads are perfect and then it's a bit more tough when you reach uh, uh new mexico any good stories from your time on the Great Divide? On the Great Divide, uh, I remember an encounter with a grizzly, uh, which was <laughs> dense. Yeah. The grizzly on the distance, uh, it was in uphill, 
uh, glad I wasn't uphill and not going crazy in downhill. So I took a turn and I saw Grizzly like 150 meters from me. And so I tried to make as much uh, noise as possible. He saw me and I tried to send him all the good energy, like this is your land, I respect you. So he started slowly to leave. And I said, that was a, a single track. I said, well, Arta, you will not stay here your whole life. So I started cycling and at the point the grizzly was uh, a few seconds before, I saw him like 30 meters from me, but he didn't move. So I could just continue. And that oh. was a, a lovely moment. A good connection with with a grizzly. <laughs> I've heard about singing songs to the uh, the bears on the Great Divide, and that will scare them away. Apparently, if you're a terrible singer, maybe. <laughs> oh, interesting. Yeah, right. yeah. But a lot of people are riding the Great Divide with um, how do you call it? A bear spray. Yeah. And I, I decided to take one with me because uh, I, I trust nature. After those two years, I trust nature, and they understand how. The, you, you can expect their reaction if you if you respect them. With humans, it's a bit different. You can you can never expect the a human reaction. An animal reaction is no problem. So oh, okay. yeah, interesting. Yeah, I mean, I guess to to some degree, I've also heard that you know people don't know how to do it right anyways, and it doesn't really work for them. So I interviewed uh, Davide, and he talked about a grizzly bear in Alaska, and he came to spray it, and it was in the wind, and it all came back in his own face, and he was all fucked up, and you know, so <laughs> like you, yeah. you, you can spend all the money you want on bear spray, but if you don't use it right, you're, you're messed. <laughs> yeah. And so there are many situations, uh, the bear spray will not work. But I think the, the main thing is I wouldn't like somebody to spray me. So I will never do it to, to an animal. <laughs> ah, fair enough. What about your food? How did you protect your food from animals? Did you have a bear box or I don't know what they use in the US, but in Canada, they have their own recommendations. So, yeah, in some places, I remember, uh, let's say just when entering Wyoming, for example, near the Teton uh, National Park, there were some bear boxes. Mm -hmm. uh, most of the time I was uh, just carrying dry food, uh, ah. oats, pasta, and that was all I was eating. And if I wanted to eat vegetables, meat, I was eating that in, uh, let's say, restaurants or different places like those or okay. when stopping at places but always carrying with me food which was not uh, smelling uh, too much yeah so it's sealed right like if you have a fried rice bag well it's all sealed shut and there's no smell coming out of it that kind of thing yeah and that works well it works well because i had no problems at all with bears so i think it works well maybe <laughs> a enough. bit of change too bit of chance too but no problem any yeah. uh, other stories about your time through I guess, North America to Mexico that you would like to share? Well, uh, I did cycle the, the grid divide and now I've, it has been like almost, uh, I think, two months here in Mexico and I didn't cycle that much. So I don't have too many stories uh, from the American continent. But, well, that's pretty much, I think, everything. Uh, you mentioned before, uh, sorry, previous to starting the recording, that you wanted to ride the Baja Divide as well, or the Baja Peninsula, right? Right, that can be interesting. Yeah, I, I wanted to ride Baja Divide but with my bike, which is a 26. Uh, and per, at the time, I had 2.4 in the front, 2.2 in the in the rear. But it's a very, it's a tough, tough ride, the Baja Divide. You have to say it. I think I, I would give. Uh, 
a five out of 10 for the grid divide because it's pretty easily and eight out of 10 for the Baja divide. So you have to be prepared. Okay. And my bike, my bike was not that good. Uh, you need a 29 plus uh, minimum to ride it. You do. Yeah. Yeah. You, so you really do need a bigger bike even there in, in the Baja. Yeah. Yeah, you, you did. A, you do need a a, a much uh, a twenty nine plus definitely or fat okay. uh, bike twenty six fat. Because I know that Adam, you know, we know Adam. Uh, Adam was talking about riding the the Baja Divide, and so I guess maybe he's gonna need to. I don't know, do something different. <laughs> I will talk to him, and I will tell him if you want to ride it with your uh, Shirley on Long Trucker twenty six, it's gonna be very hard. Yeah, let him so know. So I will recommend it all. Or to change his route, or to you change You know what? You don't bike. have to send him a message. You could do it right now. Here, I'll let you talk. So, tell, send Adam a voice message right now. To Adam and all the cyclists on the road, if you want to ride the Baja Divide, and if you don't want to get stuck in the sand, uh, go with a twenty-nine plus because then it's 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 almost there. Impossible. You go, Adam Hugo, cycling the world. There's a message for you. I hope you get it. I know you will because I know you listen to this <laughs> podcast. Yeah. <laughs> So aside from going to prison in Myanmar, which I mean is a is a pretty low on any tour, I think um, I think if anybody is on a bike tour and they end up in prison, they could probably say that is a low moment. Have there ever been any other things that were less than ideal? Most of the moments, let's say 100% of the moments I live on the road were just lovely, lovely people. Hospitality was just amazing. So perfect moments, but I had a few hard moments, which I was not expecting those, like being in jail. But that was not that hard. That was a very interesting experience and make it made me grow. It made me more mature, mm-hmm. mature because you have a lot of time to speak about you, to, to observe of uh, uh, how people uh, are. And that was very interesting. But yeah, right. I'm, I have a a pretty hard intense moment because they just told me i have a, a skin cancer so maybe we'll have to come back france but doesn't look something that bad it can can be treated and you you think that there might be a connection from the skin cancer to prison well because it was quite dirty when when in jail uh, we were uh, taking showers with the water outside and there were like some i don't know those all those green things uh, in the water so that was not yeah. clean at all and at this problem i had some skin problem and i think that affect a bit uh, my skin i got some bacteria and maybe from it I, I have no idea but that's also from the sun uh, i have this problem from it started all uh, at this okay. point in, in the in the Myanmar, I think. how did you realize you had uh, uh, some skin cancer i guess how did you find this out <laughs> It was by chance because uh, when on the Baja Divide, uh, I got bitten by, by a cactus. So I went to a hospital and they to close my, my skin. And one week later, I, I just checked it. I uh, wanted uh, to see if everything was okay. But that was worse. Big infection. So I said, well, I, I cannot get again. I, I cannot go again to, a, let's say, a bad hospital because that's no bad job so i said i, I must go to mexico city to a good one i called my okay. insurance and they told me you have to get to this one and there i ended because i had this problem on my other leg and i ended seeing a doctor which made a which took which took some skin uh, two days ago uh, she told me you have a skin wow cancer. so if you know if you hadn't have got ripped open by the cactus and had to have that looked at you wouldn't even know it yeah and i then, think so 
I think so. Yeah, it, it looks like a pretty slow. This concert looks like a pretty slow concert. So even if I would have uh, finished my my trip with it, maybe it would have been good. But the first you f- f- the, the 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 sooner you fix it, the better is it. I think. Yeah, and I mean, yeah. So definitely with cancer, the sooner the better. Like you just said. So I'm glad that they found it now and not mm-hmm. later. You know, just as a as a way to get treated and get it done with. So. You're planning to fly back to to France, most likely, to have this looked at. Well, I think I'm planning yeah to come back to France to fix it first because my um, that that's important to fix it first, and then I will see what I do in the in the upcoming okay. future. I have a different plan, so I will see if I keep going cycling and uh, or if I if I go for something different like uh, having a family because maybe it's time to be a, a father uh, I learned a lot of stuff I received uh, I received a lot of uh, a lot of love from the people on the road and now it's time to, to give that share love it. back yeah yeah it's very important and you were talking about maybe if you decide to go touring again and continue it you might um, build a more of a 29 plus what do they call it a mid fat bike yeah will it be a bamboo bike as well yeah Sorry. definitely <laughs> I think I will go for a bamboo bike as well because I really liked it. And because as I told you, it's a smooth ride. And uh, for, yeah, at 29 plus to do more bikepacking routes, to go more remote, because as you know, most dangerous when cycling is the traffic and i really enjoy to be out of uh, any traffic when uh, riding the the grid divide during the those three months and back in the traffic here in mexico i said no this is not really what i want and uh, so i want to do more uh, bikepacking to go more remote and for it i think we need a, a 29 plus like you said you can make any kind of bamboo bike so a fat bike it's doable you just have to buy the different components yeah yeah, sure. You can make That's everything. really something. All right. Anything else you want to talk about before we, we end this show? I think that's pretty much everything. That was a good resume of uh, those last two years on the road. I wish to everybody to, if you want to go for, for this dream, don't think that much about the stuff you want to go with. Just yeah. get on the road and you will learn from the road. And this is an amazing life. I call it uh, the fast life because maybe what you will learn in six months, in a normal life, you will learn it in, I don't know, four or five years. So go for it and you will see people are amazing all around and they will give you a lot of love. And then you have you just have to share it. I love it. And uh, where can people find you if they want to follow you on social media or whatnot? Okay. They can find me on my uh, Instagram, the bike traveler. And also on my website, which is the same name, thebacktraveler.com. Do you have a Facebook as well? I do have Facebook. It's the same name. And I do have a YouTube channel. I just posted a few videos I, a few okay. days ago. So it's all the same name, The Bike oh, Traveler. Easy. All right. So Instagram, Facebook, website, YouTube, The Bike Traveler, yeah? Yeah, that's it. Sweet. Awesome. Thank you, Arthur. It was so good to talk to you and to, uh, to finally hear your story. I really like that your your motivation for travel is the people. You know, a lot of people travel to see the wonderful sights and uh, maybe not enough people travel yeah. to see the, the different kinds of human beings that are out there, you know. Yeah, yeah thanks, Chris, for having this podcast. I was very happy to share uh, this experience and I wish some people will hear it and say, yeah, I go tomorrow <laughs> on my bike. That's what I hope for too. All right, man. Talk to you yeah. later. Thank you so much. Have a great thanks night. Thanks so much, Chris. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, that was episode 18 with Arthur Declos. 
And I really, really enjoyed this uh, interview. It was very different than prior interviews I've done. I think the majority of people out there bike touring are out to see the world, catch the sights and the sounds and the smells and the people and the food. and But also the sights and the sights are a big one. People want to see the Great Wall and they want to see Kyoto and they want to see Angkor Wat. And Arthur really doesn't travel for those things. He seems to be only concerned with meeting the people along the way. And where most people would have likened a month in prison to a terrible event, Arthur found the good in it and said, yes, but the people were wonderful. You know, they really took care of me and this and that. And and most people wouldn't do that. Most people wouldn't have that same view. So I thought it was really, really great. And thank you again, Arthur, for taking the time to talk with me. In the next episode, episode 19 of Bike Tour Adventures, I'm interviewing Sam Johnson, a British guy that for a while lived in a van traveling around Europe and then Australia, eventually gave it all up and bought himself a touring bike and is now on a massive world tour by bike. He keeps up a pretty interesting blog as well, where he lays out things such as the financial cost of every part on his bike when he built it up and really insightful things about why he stopped fundraising for charity and why he stopped doing daily videos, which we didn't have a chance to talk about during the podcast. One thing we did talk about was 18 things he's learned as a bike tour over the past two years. And during our conversation, we also had a chance to talk about what it was like being stuck in Ecuador during protests and riots and uh, how he managed to get out. So tune in next episode and keep on pedaling. Bye-bye. I want to end the show by thanking all my listeners once again for the emails and comments I regularly receive from you. It really helps motivate me and keep me going with this project and to continue sharing people's amazing stories. If you have questions or comments, you can email me at bike at bikepackadventures.ca or go to bikepackadventures.ca and shoot me a message through the contact form. You can also check out the webpage for past podcast episodes, bikepacking routes throughout Canada, blog posts, videos, and touring tips. Lastly, I'd like to once again thank all the individuals and companies that are supporting the podcast. If you are enjoying the show and like what I'm doing, you can become one of my show supporters by going to patreon.com slash bikepackadventures. And for just a few dollars a month, you can help keep this show going. You can also help out by sending a one-time donation through PayPal. This money all goes back into the podcast, help me to cover the costs associated with running the show, buy new equipment when necessary, and produce the high-quality content that you've become accustomed to. Much appreciated, and keep on pedaling.